simplify. We're going to look at the Bible this morning. If you'd like to follow with me, it's from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11 is where we're going to center most of our teaching. Simplify. We come back from our holidays, don't we not? And it's all been very relaxing along the way. And we think to ourselves, I want a little bit more of that. Yeah? And so we quietly mutter the words to ourselves, if I could just simplify my life, it'd be a whole lot easier. It'd be a whole lot more stress-free, don't we? We mutter it on our lips. And it's as though we get to the new year and we have all these different balls in our buckets. And along the way, what we try and do is actually discern which are the ones I should keep and which are the ones that I should jettison along the way so I don't make my life as busy as it was last year. Isn't this true? But the problem is, is that we are so addicted to productivity in our communities that we end up just actually pushing more things in. It's easy for us to say yes to things, but it's really difficult to say no. Isn't that true? So along the way, what happens in, in the 2016 sort of mandate to simplify our lives is we end up actually making them sometimes busier. Jesus cuts through all of that. He says, actually, your life is more than just about being productive. Your life is actually knowing me and being connected with my Father. What I want you to do more than anything else is I want you to seek first God and his life. And if you make that your priority, all the other things, if you like, will fall around the edges. Because the most important thing that you're wired for more than anything else in this world is actually to know God, to be in relationship with him, and to kind of do the things that he designed you to do in a consistent way. In fact, that's where life is to be found. Jesus said these words, don't worry away with your, what do we eat? And what do we drink, Jesus, if we actually seek you first and what you're on about for our lives? If we do that first, what about the other stuff? And Jesus says, uh, don't worry about those things. What do we wear? These are all the kinds of things that Gentiles fuss about, those who are non-Jewish people at that time who uh, perhaps weren't following and, and seeking after, no, what, who is God and what is he all about? And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Instead, make your top priority God's kingdom and his way of life, and all these things will be given to you as well. It doesn't mean it's a promise that you're going to get all the, the housing things you ever wanted, or the, the job you've always wanted, or the, the trophy uh, man or woman that you've always wanted, but what it does mean is that there's a God who's actually interested in your life, that wants to provide the things that are important, he knows them. In fact, when Jesus says, seek God's kingdom, he's not actually telling them, get ready to be prepared to die and go to heaven. What he's actually saying is that heaven where God dwells, his realm, is not that far away. And if you aren't your life, your thinking, your heart, your attitude, your, your bodies, if, if you like, who you are to his ideas, what, what he's like where he dwells, then, then you will find life and life indeed. You see, C.S. Lewis was really spot on with this idea about heaven where God dwells. Where is it? It's actually at the end of the wardrobe. It's, it's behind the, the painting. Uh, where God is in his dwelling outside space and time and matter is not all that far away. In fact, he's close, closer than you think with us today, hearing our thoughts, knowing our ideas, watching our behaviours. He's interested in our worlds. And Jesus said, if you like, 
Live your life in the knowledge that there is a good God who cares about your predicaments, who is in charge and reigns supreme, and that the best kind of life is to be experienced with him, in him, and for him. Trust me, he's my dad, and he wants to be yours too, your heavenly father. Could you imagine for a moment if, if you're sorting out your life and trying to do the simplification of it, if you truly believed that there was a heavenly father, a God, who was actually interested in your world, your life, that actually knew what was best for you more than anything else, and that he reigned supreme, and that he was close, every decision, every choice, every action he was interested in, and he actually believes that if you guide your life towards him, that he'll take care of the rest, even the most challenging and difficult things. Imagine living with that kind of trust. I used to be a phys ed teacher many years ago. I spent four to six weeks training our year eight group how to play hockey. It came the day when they'd been begging me and asking me, can we just play a game, Mr. Anna? Can we play a game, Mr. Anna? Can we play a game, Mr. Anna? Until finally I'd instructed them because hockey is a really dangerous sport. Did you know this? It's got a stick and it's got a projectile called a ball and it can do all kinds of untold damage. At the end of that time, I said, okay, now's the time to play the game. And I said, go. And for the next like three minutes, what unfolded before me was this kind of devastation and carnage. Everything I had taught them over the last four completely vanished. Guys took hockey sticks and turned them into weapons of mass destruction. (laughs) Um, Balls went flying in all directions. People, literally kids were falling down, clutching their ankles, clutching their knees. In the end, I said, stop. I blew my whistle. I called them back in. And I said, this, remember, is how we play the game. You need to listen to my call, to my voice, to my instruction. I released them again. The next time they played, they passed the ball correctly. They observed the the boundaries. They didn't lift the ball. There's no one falling over. At the end of the game, they thoroughly enjoyed it. So let me ask you this this morning. Did the kids enjoy and experience life when they did whatever they wanted? Was it when they allowed their lives to come under the governance of someone who had their best care and intentions at heart? You see, sometimes we believe the lie that if I actually obey someone else's rules, it will rob me of life. In fact, what we discover and learn about ourselves is that when I actually sometimes embrace the governance of someone else who has my care that I actually experienced life the way it was intended to be lived. That's why I love this picture, of the, the clip that we saw of the whole idea of shopping. Because along the way, if someone wants to actually seek first God and put him first, there's a whole lot of other voices out there that want to tell you not to do that. That's represented so accurately in the movie Confessions of a Shopaholic. Did you hear what she said? when she was describing the kind of life-giving force that was taking place to her when she went to purchase some new items of clothing. Yeah. And so it's Italian leather. I mean, and it's not just having these things. It's, it's the feel and the experience of the garment on you that gives you this sense of life. 
And if you can just acquire this next particular thing, then you will actually have this, this impression, this image that you project to the world. And, and it's so easy, isn't it, not to be caught up in, maybe if I, if I go that way, um, my life will be good. Maybe if I get into that new relationship, that will actually give me life. Maybe if I go in that direction, that will give me... And her experience of what gave her life was the acquisition of more fine garments. You see, great author, G.K. Chesterton, he said this, The only two things that can satisfy the soul are a person and a story, and even a story must be about a person. Robert Weber put it like this, The most pressing spiritual question of our time is this, Who gets to narrate our world? If I could put it in another way, it would be simply this, Where is the happy life, the good life, the really life-giving life to be found? Where is it to be found? Last year at Christmas time, my family went away to the Philippines. We decided to do that because, um, for a number of different reasons, but because one of them was that we live in this kind of outer suburban, eastern suburbs, Melbourne, that's quite affluent. And, And the voices that you can get sometimes from younger people is that we're actually not well off. Have you ever heard that, parents here? If we could just get that thing or someone else is actually higher than us, they've got more stuff than us. And they can kind of actually be... One of the reasons why we went over into that particular place was because we actually wanted all of us as a family to experience what it's like to actually be in genuine need. When we were over there, one day we went to a particular place that was a slum. And we took some food with another group of people and a minister of a church, and we actually walked our way up onto a mountaintop that was called Trash Mountain. And it was in that place as we were distributing food that we saw kids coming from literally all out of the different areas, and and some of them were naked, some of them were very smelly and dirty, and they all sat before us. And I remember that experience of feeding them there in that place, impoverishment like we had never seen before. Two days later... We decided to do some shopping in downtown Manila. And only the really affluent people get to go there, or the white-skinned ones. In fact, they have police on the doors, just to make sure who's allowed in and not. I remember as a family going into this kind of building and going, wow, all the different shops in here, they're really affordable clothing. remember going in, the first thing you noticed was that there was just the sound, the music was tranquil. And then everything was clean and polished, completely different to the... And then I remember walking into the different department stores where everything is arranged really neatly and, and putting something on. And you know when you put a new garment on, what's the next thing you do? You go and look in a mirror. And you stand there and, and one, someone else says, maybe someone in your family, look, you look really good in that. Yeah, and you think to yourself, it's actually quite true, I do. <laughs> in fact, I look Amazing. And if I just get the matching shoes and the jacket, and so you go and try another thing on, yeah? And then you stand in front of that mirror and you kind of parade around and you kind of walk a little bit taller. Did you notice that? And then the shop attendants, they, they know what to say, don't they? Wow. Gee, that, that looks great. And you think to yourself, it's true. I look amazing. And in fact, if you listen to those things enough and if you look at yourself in the mirror enough and you begin to think, don't you? It just kind of the voice starts to linger in your mind. This, this is where life is to be found, is it not? The only problem is you have to wash the T-shirt three weeks later. Uh, 
it gets dirty, the fashion goes out, and you need to do it again. So I'm not just fingering and putting my, my finger on clothes this morning. It's a whole bunch of different voices that happen in our lives when it comes to actually where to find life. But at the end of that experience, I couldn't help but ask myself, what's more life-giving? Being amongst these impoverished children who have none and I have some and I can give to them or actually is life really to be found in the acquisition of more? To be known and to be seen. Is that where life is to be found? So let me ask you this morning, whose story are you living by? Where do you think life is to be found? Jesus said, if you really want to know, Seek first my Father's kingdom where he dwells and allow that to permeate your heart and your mind and your feet and your hands in this life. For anyone who wants to do that, though, they need to learn to do some resisting to saying no. Who here this morning is really good at saying no? Who here is really good at saying yes? Who wishes they would be able to say no a little bit more often (laughs) along the way? You see, it's easy to say yes to things, a bit harder to say no. There's obligations involved. But if someone truly wants to simplify their life the way Jesus talked about it, you need to learn to do some no saying. In fact, he did it himself. There's a time where Jesus had been baptized. He came up out of the water. There was a voice from the heavens that says it's saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then after that, the Spirit of God took Jesus out into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And in that place, as the Son of God who was going to come and liberate and lead a new movement of God here on earth, he was tempted, it says, by the devil in the wilderness. Now, some of you might be sitting here today and saying, I don't believe that there's a devil. I don't even believe there's an evil force out there. Jesus begs to differ. I'm not talking about a pitchfork walking around in that kind of characterization, but I see his handiwork every day in the newspaper. I hear about it when Robin shares about disasters and anything that corrupts God's good world seems to be there's a force that's alive and at work in our world and it seems to have its own person behind it. It's hard to define where and it's hard to label and point a finger at but there is a personal force that wants to corrupt everything that God is on about and doing in this world and Jesus confronted that force he named the devil in fact out in the wilderness it says the devil came to Jesus and whispered in his ear if you're really God's son he said tell these stones to become bread go on you can do it If you really are God's son, his Messiah, the one who's going to come and liberate the world and change it and transform it, go ahead. You're hungry. Satisfy yourself. And Jesus replied. He said, the Bible says that it takes more than bread to keep you alive. You actually live on every word that comes out of God's mouth. And Jesus was saying, no, no, I can have bread to fill my stomach, but there's something else that needs to be taking place in my life for me to feel whole. In fact, God made us to be in relationship with himself. I was in the gymnasium last week at Aquanation, and I was talking to a lady after one of the exercise classes. We'd kind of bumped into each other a bit over the last number of months. And we sat down and we talked, and she said, Troy, I've known, been known as a successful businesswoman. 
She said, you know what, but for all the success that I've had over the years, for living and having all the acquisition of all the things that I've wanted, there's still this hunger in my life. It kind of doesn't feel like it's enough. It's like a hole. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about. You can fill it with all the kinds of other things, but unless God fills that space, you're not really living, according to Jesus. Then the, the whispering voice came again into his head. Whilst you're planning this new movement, this, this liberating of this world and this rescuing and this saving of it, Jesus, if you really are God's son, throw yourself down. Uh, in his mind's eye, it said that, that Jesus was taken to the top and the pinnacle of the temple, the most one of the seven wonders of the world, and, and he was placed on top of it. And in his mind's eye, the devil said to him, why don't you in front of everyone throw yourself down? And the Bible says, after all, God will give his angels a command about you and they will carry you in their hands so that you won't hurt your foot against a stone. It'll be magnificent, Jesus. If you just stand on the top of this temple and throw yourself off, God will come and sweep down and catch you and it'll be like the best pyrotechnic display. People will be wowed. You'll be so famous. The whole thing will get kick-started around you. And Jesus turns to him and says, No, no. Enough of looking in the mirror and showing myself up to be someone really important. He says, The Bible says that you mustn't put the Lord your God to the test. He's not interested in me showing myself up like that. No, I won't do what you say. And then it says, then in his mind's eye, Jesus was taken to the top of a massive mountain in which he saw all of the kingdoms of the world. And that whispering voice came to him again and said this, I'll give the whole lot to you. I'll give the whole lot to you, Jesus. This is where life is to be found. And the subtext here is that I'll give the whole lot to you with you and me, says the devil to Jesus. I will give the whole lot to you. I will infect people with an evil and I will get them to carry the sword and, and we will take over by force the world itself and you have, will have everything that you so desire. You will be king of the world if you just fall down and worship me. Jesus said, get out of it. The Bible says, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. You see, what the world offers us in so many different ways are these same voices. Rule yourself. Satisfy yourself. Show yourself. There's a survey done of millennials. They said, what is it that you want to actually achieve in life? The first one they said was wealth. The second one they said was fame. They actually believe that fame will be where life is at. And Jesus says, no. No, if you actually want to seek first what God is on about, you need to do some resisting. Discerning the voices about where life is to be truly found. And saying no. It doesn't mean that you don't wear clothes. It doesn't mean you don't have a job. It doesn't mean, but this is the most important thing. And you need to learn to say no.
You see, our world says if we satisfy our wanter, we'll be happy. Jesus says no. There are some things our wanters want that don't lead to life. Seek first me. The band's going to come up in a moment and Cindy's going to sing a reflective song for us to consider these things this morning. I want to ask you this. It's very easy in our jobs, in our lives to go, you know what, if I could just, I could get that promotion if I just stab someone in the back about it in my workspace because I could have power and influence. For a young person to go, you know, I could get a better result on my test if I just cheat. For in our social discourse to say, if I just get the right clothes or rub shoulders with the right people, then I'll be. And Jesus is really clear that there's voices in our world every day that want to take us away from what he's on about in his world and his life. Learning to say no. How do we do it? means when we wake up in the morning, if you want to follow Jesus, to just say, God, what do you want me to do? That simple prayer that Robin prays. And then to recognize, is this where life is to be found? And you can say no and resist. But what I find mostly is that there are some things and forces that speak to me that I need to say, it's too hard for me, it's too tough. God, I can't resist by myself. I need you to help me here. And he does. He does. He breaks addictions. Sets feet on a pathway that leads to life and peace. That's what he's on about. Three years ago, I went on a health kick. I decided after coming back from the Olympics, not me running, but that I was inspired to run. And so what I did was I actually said, I haven't challenged myself for a long time physically. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up in the morning times and I'm going to run. Answer me this, which was the easier time to run? Was it on day one or day three? Day three. See, what I determined to do every morning, rain, hail, or shine, no matter how sleepy I was or not, is that I would seek to actually run. But on day three, I needed to recognize the voice that said, you know what? It's raining outside. You don't need to run today. It's easy to turn your shoes in the other direction. Following God is about learning to turn your shoes in the right direction. Recognize the voice for what it is. And saying no. Sometimes going, you know what? I can't do this myself. I need someone to help me here. Maybe someone else to run with me. And so there I'd be out on the roads, out on the track in the middle of the rain going, where are those other fair-weathered runners? They're not out here. I was training my wanter. Jesus says, you can do the same with my life. As you hear these words right now, 
as you see the visual on the screen, I'd invite you to close your eyes to pray to what's God speaking to you about? And then one of the most profound things that we can do is respond in an act of worship. When the second song comes, if you'd like to respond, why don't you do so? My only criteria for us is this. We do it. We do it wholeheartedly. Because when you do something wholeheartedly before God, He hears and He responds and there's engagement. So why don't you have this time yourself right now for Him to speak to you.